Halloween, apples, trick or treat, does it matter? <laughs> Cynical old me says, ah, I didn't go anywhere. Beijing leaves are pretty and the wind is picking up. PSB visit. Passport's in the office and now going to be renewed. Uh, the permit, that is, not the passport. Seoul, South Korea. What happened over there, guys? Ladies, you take care too. Heard a few stories here that uh, uh, some surgery's going on. New blog post up. Could China be home? Good question. And new newsletter out. Hope you guys are doing well. Monday, October 31st, 2022. I'm Stephen Sirsky. This here is my audio digest in which I yik-yak about some of the things that are going on here in Beijing, China. And uh, I, I, uh, I've been here for quite a while already. Eight or nine years. And uh, yeah, I'm one of the holders on. I'm, I haven't left yet, uh, despite uh, the uh, current situation. Although situation, I mean, to tell you the truth, uh, if there's any situation... It hasn't changed very much, other than the COVID thing. The COVID thing's still going on, in case you guys haven't noticed. Uh, here in China, it is uh, still a big issue with this dynamic zero thing that they're going on about. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Halloween. You guys do anything? I didn't. I didn't go anywhere. I stayed at home. <laughs> I, uh, I updated my website on the weekend, uh, I think. Did I work on what, on Friday? I did. Uh, no, on Saturday. I worked on Saturday. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, and then also on Saturday night, I was able to uh, do more of this uh, language vlog recording. I've started another little, uh, I guess, conversations with Steve. <laughs> Meant, targeted for the ESL uh, market, uh, for the ESL sort of um, atmosphere. Inspired partially by the, the Delta program that I'm, Delta course that I'm taking right now. Uh, but the idea being to create some sort of natural um, repository of English language to use in a classroom setting or for ESL learning. Uh, but, I mean, that was my whole weekend. Like, I didn't go out anywhere. I know there were a few uh, parties and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't really afraid of getting sick or anything like that or like, getting contact traced or anything. It was just that I just haven't gone out for Halloween in a very long time. Uh, I mean... I would equate it more with for kids than anything else. I think the last time I went out for Halloween was with my nieces uh, several years ago. I mean, if we were, if I was back in Canada, I probably would go out with them. But uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm not, and I don't really <laughs> don't know any families who are really doing the whole trick or treating thing here. On the compound, they did have there was, um, I guess. Was it the school or a group of parents put together like a little sort of Halloween um, display uh, that they had up for a couple hours uh, last night? And they had the kids come over in their, their costumes. And I did see a few kids go to class uh, with their Halloween costumes. But other than that, not too much. Oh, and the only, only other place that I saw it um, actually being sort of uh, noticed uh, was at the, the Mai Tien uh, not Maytian. Maytian? Yeah, the uh, rental agency, the the leasing agency. They do up their uh, office with Halloween ghosts and stuff like that, and the the cobwebs and everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's never. It's a, it's it's for kids, I would say. <laughs> uh, maybe for adults too. You know, let loose. But uh, 
I don't think I need Halloween to let loose. <laughs> I think most people would agree, too. So, anyway. Uh, other than that, Beijing leaves uh, are very pretty. Never did get outside of the city. Uh, it was kind of smoggy yesterday. Uh, today was a lot better. Uh, it's been very windy as of late. So what happens here at this time of year is that the the leaves around the the leaves on the trees get like they're very nice, like the all different colors, like uh, gold. Uh, some are still green, red, orange, etc. But then the wind picks up, and when the wind picks up, it blows everything away basically. So the uh, the chance to enjoy the scenery, the autumn in Beijing is very short. I mean it's goes from like October you have one month that's it and by mid-November I mean it's just very windy already and a lot of the the leaves are off it the the trees look like they're they're in the process of dying sort of thing so it's not as uh, pretty as it is right now that being said the ginkgo trees are still smelling up everything can't wait for that smell to be gone apparently you can eat those things uh, but uh, I have never tried them and I don't know anyone who does eat them so Today's fun was going to the PSB, so uh, I had to uh, renew my work permit uh, again. So this is, this is an annual festivity that we do here uh, in uh, in China as an expat, and uh, you get to uh, take your passport. First, you got to go to the company and get some pieces of paper that uh, they print out, and they've started filling out the um, PSB application form, I guess, because they were tired of uh, dealing with people uh, who didn't know what to do. Um, the form is in English and Chinese, uh, but this way they, they print it out, they, uh, f like on computer rather than having us go there and like, uh, sign it out, um, by hand or anything like that. Uh, you need this form, you need some piece of paper from the company, you need your, um, what do you call it? Registration, your housing, like your, your, uh, residence registration. So you got to go to the local pr police station, which... I had neglected to do after my other passport, uh, after my new passport was issued. So I had to do that first. Uh, and then you need a photo. I had to get new photos taken today because uh, uh, it was, it, the, it's been, what was it? Well, I guess I used my last ABLE photo uh, back in the summer because that's when I last applied for this work permit. Um, but I have these three other photo, photos from years ago like from 2017 and there's actually one from 2000 uh, february and then october and you can see i've actually put on weight in that time like that i guess that time like, uh, it was uh, a bit of a dip in my uh healthy eating uh and so you, you can see the difference and you can see the difference now so i have this new picture i have four pictures total uh two or two from 2017 one from another uh, year i don't know uh, and then this year, so I figured I, I was going to use them, but I'm like, you know what, I'll, I may as well just keep them. I mean, I've had them for so long, uh, instead of throwing away to a government bureau that's not going to really do anything with them, I'll keep them for posterity. So uh, that's what I was uh, going to do. Well, that's what I did anyway. So uh, I was actually going to get a little frame for them and, you know, pop them up there or something. I don't know. We'll see. Just a little bit of sentiment. That's it. Uh, but yeah, the... Um, PSP was actually rather easy to do. Uh, oh, and if you do have to, if you have to do this, uh, just be sure that you make a uh, uh, a reservation beforehand. Um, and you had to. It it's not oh it's not bad. 
it's like a couple days before you want to go, you should go onto the WeChat site or the website and uh, make the the time reservation because you can no longer just show up and walk in the building. You actually need uh, uh, to uh, be pre-registered before you go. Actually, I think you still could walk in. No one was checking today. I don't know why, uh, but I think it's still safer to say to uh, um, check, uh, make a reservation beforehand before you actually get in and going. Seoul, South Korea. Okay, so I've been to Itaewon. I lived in South Korea for a year. Uh, This was actually a little bit shocking to hear that this happened. Um, I guess what had happened is that there was a Halloween get-together, um, Halloween party that just got out of hand. Like, I don't I don't understand how this happens, though. Uh, d- people, they said it was from cardiac arrest. 154 people died, uh, on, was it yesterday, um, in, in South Korea because the streets were crammed full of people. But what, uh, what I don't understand is how... How can that happen? To tell you the truth, like, this is this is beyond me, um, and my heart goes out to the families because uh, there are a lot of young people there as well. Imagine your your kid going out first university year or something like that, or even second. They're excited to be out with their friends, and next thing you know, they're they're dead. I mean, this is heartbreaking to tell you the truth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and there was actually one in Hong Kong as well. Not a death, but uh, Hong Kong had a, uh, I guess it's like a parade or something. Uh, the streets where they just have people out in the streets and stuff like that. A block party, basically. Uh, I don't, no one got hurt there, though. So, but uh, this one in South Korea, I mean, terrible to hear. Take care of, the, of each other out there, guys. I mean, wow, it's a, and I guess something to be said about not going to too big of a crowd or too, uh, too big of event, right? Like that. Uh, but yeah, sad, sad news to wake up to uh, this morning. Not only that, uh, I don't know about you guys out there, uh, but uh, if you're not checking in on your ladies, uh, if you're not checking in on the, the women in, in your life, um, you know, sisters, mothers, uh, your nieces, friends, I mean, I think you, you should give a shout out and ask them how they're doing because of the... I have heard so many people going in for surgery lately. It's I don't know what happened. Like in the last month, uh, none of the guys I know are having surgery. So pay, 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 pay. That um, you know nothing else bad happens. But I mean, just it seems like uh, there's a, a a global surgery going on. So um, yeah, there's a few people I know who had to uh, go. Not major surgery. Some of it was minor surgery, but it just seems like there's uh, a lot of. Uh, Injuries happening. So, shout out to the the ladies. Take care of yourselves, guys out there. Make sure uh, you're uh, taking care of them as well. Uh, it's, geez, life can be harsh sometimes, I tell you. So, give your mom a hug and check in with your friends, right? Or give your mom a call. Uh, speaking of which, I should probably do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, new blog post up. This one might titillate you guys a little bit. Could China be home? Good question. I say that a lot. Good question. Because I do have a lot of questions. But this one, up on my website now, uh, is a rather lengthy expose of uh, of whether or not China could ever be home. In a very long-winded way. And it is, it's long-winded. And the reason why I made it so long, I was thinking about whether I should cut it down. But it really goes through in detail. Uh, some of the things that would make me stay, 
or, or that could could that and I don't mean just being locked down on my my compound I mean like where I consciously um, and stay be on uh, my own volition sort of thing I don't say what would make me leave because what would make me leave I mean there's a variety of things that could make me leave uh, you know not being vaccinated if I have to leave the country I'm not coming back basically right uh, so that's one of them but in a very long explanation of how China could be home. Um, maybe not even Beijing. Maybe somewhere else. It basically comes down to two things. Number one, health. And number two, uh, being able to make money. Like, uh, it, it's not... Because if I can't... If I have my health, or if I don't have my health, and I don't have any money, what happens? I get sent back to Canada. That's maybe not even that order sort of thing. You don't have money, then you don't have your health, whichever. But the the doomsday scenario uh, that I write up in this blog post is about, you know, even if I had a permanent residence card, which is good for 10 years, and it's only, it's not permanent, it's 10 years, that's it. That expires. What if I still don't own an apartment or uh, own a home here in China and I'm still paying rent, and if I don't have money for rent, what happens? So if all, and then let's just say something bad happens, tragedy strikes, I'm in the hospital, can't do anything, incapacitated in some way, right? Not that I want this, I hope, pay, 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 pay again, of course, but what if, what if, what if, what if? Now in Canada, you just go to the hospital and they sort of take care of you and they, it's, it's socialized healthcare would take care of you, mostly. I mean, bare, bare minimum, sure, but I mean, you would have a chance of survival, uh, here in China, not sure. I don't even want to test these waters to tell you the truth. Like, imagine not having money to pay rent, losing your job, uh, and then like not having a home and like being incapacitated or something, like getting hit by a car or something or a bus or a quiet e guy, a, a you know, uh, a food delivery guy. I mean, eesh. Ah, yeah, it's not a situation you want to think about, but. What could make China home? And it comes down to is it health, health, and the ability to make money, to have a job and an employment of some sort. With this whole employment thing, I'm surprised this hasn't happened yet. For China's, uh, um, you know, ovations of saying that it's it's such a developed country or developing or it's made such great strides, being restricted in what type of work you can do on a visa uh, or on. Like, uh, yeah, what, what type of visa you have in your, your passport doesn't really lead to, you know, a lot of creativity uh, in terms of, um, you know, putting ideas to work here, right? Because you're restricted. I mean, you can only work for the company that brings you over and that's it. There's no other, you, legally, you cannot do it. Uh, I'm sure you could find under the, uh, under the table work. Um, I mean, you're kind of rolling with that one, I guess. I'm not sure, but... Uh, it doesn't, there's no real clarification on whether you can work online. Uh, so like that, I haven't seen really addressed anywhere. It might be a gray area, gray market, uh, gray legal zone area or something like that. Um, but, uh, it's certainly, you don't want to be making a big deal about it. Right. <laughs> and for the record, I do not make money from these blogs. So, uh, in case you were wondering, well, Steve, well, you published a lot. I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. Maybe someday they might earn a penny. Good question. But uh, not this day. That's for sure. 
Uh, so yeah, you can take a look at that uh, that uh, blog post, read through it on my website, stephenstersky.com. Could China be home? I go through uh, some of the situations and the scenarios that would uh, sort of preclude me from staying here. Uh, most of all, which would be uh, the passport, because I'll never be able to get a passport. And basically, it's very difficult to ever set up. I will always be a foreigner. Like you'll, you'll, I'll never be Chinese, both in passport and in like culture and even in language. You'll always be the other. You'll always be the outsider. It, it doesn't matter how good your Chinese is or how culturally sensitive you are. You will be a foreigner forever. <laughs> Are you okay with that, right? It basically comes down to that. Uh, new newsletter sent out. Uh, so I have been trying this out. I have uh, set up something here on uh, uh, Substack. Uh, so it's stevensterski.substack.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there. Basically, I send this out. I try to do it once a week. Uh, and it's sort of a, um, a review of all the audio blogs I've been doing. It's a lot quicker. It's just a little, hey, how's it going sort of thing written in email fashion. It's not a formal blog post or anything. Um, and I try to include some of the uh, uh, the, the interesting tidbits from the week, uh, some of the soundtracks that I might include with this here audio blog from time to time, and uh, other little things that are coming up on the weekend. But yeah, it's it, it's great to, if, if you want to Subscribe that way you can keep in touch and you get all the uh, the information all at one week. Uh, or if uh, if you've already subscribed to this podcast, that's great, awesome, thanks. Uh, I actually don't know how many people have subscribed to this thing. To tell you the truth, no idea. I, I don't even know how to check it. I'm such a luddite with some of this technology stuff. I've been learning how to uh, live stream and like how to post and everything, but uh, subscriptions, no idea. Um, no. <laughs> Uh, and I don't really seek them out, to tell you the truth, because, uh, well, number one, I, I'm kind of busy just creating stuff all the time, um, and uh, I don't really pay attention to it too much. And number two, I mean, there's no real, like, I don't have any sponsors, so it's like there's no real need to uh, keep track of a lot of that. Now, got a gift for you. Halloween treat. Halloween, not a trick. It's definitely a treat. I... Had some time today, uh, instead of doing my Delta work, I was like, well, what else could I do? I could, uh, well, I could create something instead. Sure, let's do that. Why don't I? What would be a very Halloween-y thing to do? Well, time to read some Edgar Allan Poe. So, <laughs> if you got the time, you got the inclination, I sat down today to read The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. I'm going to put that at the end of this episode, so once this episode's done, stay tuned, because I read Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. And I'd be willing to hear some uh, feedback on this one, because uh, I did, I've read this this story a couple times, uh, and I think I, I give it a very modern reading, not like uh, I don't change it too much like with my voice, um, or, or with, like, I don't change the wording, but... I do think that the way that I read it would be very different from how someone else would read it. And I did have to be very conscious of um, not reading it like it, it was for an ESL class, which is what I've kind of been doing uh, as of late. But uh, rather than just reading it as a story, uh, sort of like the, uh, the ghastly story confession that it is. So okay, I'm going to leave it there. All right. Stay tuned. The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe, as read by me, follows this episode, 
everything else, show notes, tracks, and uh, vids, and everything else up on my website, stephensersky.com. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you had a good weekend. Happy Halloween, and please take care of uh, take care out there. Give your mother a hug. Give your mother a call. Uh, check in with your friends and see how they're doing. All right, folks, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. We will talk again. Bye-bye. The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe, read by Stephen Sersky. For the most wild yet homely narrative which I am about to pen, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it in a case where my very senses reject their own evidence. Yet mad I am not, and very surely do I not dream. But tomorrow I die, and today I would unburthen my soul. My immediate purpose is to place before the world, plainly, succinctly, and without comment, a series of mere household events. In their consequences, these events have terrified, have tortured, have destroyed me. Yet I will not attempt to expound them. To me, they have presented little but horror. To many, they will seem less terrible than Baroque's. Hereafter, perhaps some intellect may be found which will reduce my phantasm to the commonplace, some intellect more calm, more logical, and far less excitable than my own, which will perceive in the, cir- circumstance, in the circumstances I detail with awe nothing more than an ordinary succession of very natural causes and effects. From my infancy, I was noted for the docility and humanity of my disposition. My tenderness of heart was even so conspicuous as to make me the jest of my companions. I was especially fond of animals, and was indulged by my parents with a great variety of pets. With these I spent most of my time, and never was so happy as when feeding and caressing them. This peculiarity of character grew with my growth, and in my manhood I derived from it one of my principal sources of pleasure. To those who have cherished an affection for a faithful and sagacious dog, I need hardly be at the trouble of explaining the nature or the intensity of the gratification thus derivable. There is something in the unselfish and self-sacrificing love of a brute, which goes directly to the heart of him who has had the frequent occasion to test the paltry friendship and gossamer fidelity of mere man. I I married early and was happy to find in my wife a disposition not not uncongenial with my own. Observing my partiality for domestic pets, she lost no opportunity of procuring those of the most agreeable kind. We had birds, goldfish, a fine dog, rabbits, a small monkey, and a cat. This latter was a remarkably large and beautiful animal, entirely black and sagacious to an astonishing degree. In speaking of his intelligence, my wife, who at heart was not a little tinctured with superstition, made frequent allusion to the ancient popular notion which regarded all black cats as witches in disguise. Not that she was ever serious upon this point, and I mention the matter at all for no better reason than that it happens, just now, to be remembered. Pluto, this was the cat's name, was my favorite pet and playmate. I alone fed him, and he attended me wherever I went about the house. It was even with difficulty that I could prevent him from following me through the streets. 
Our friendship lasted, in this manner, for several years, during which my general temperament and character, through the instrumentality of fiend, through the instrumentality of the fiend intemperance, had, I blush to confess it, experienced a radical alteration for the worse. I grew day by day more moody, more irritable, more regardless of the feelings of others. I suffered myself to use intemperate language to my wife. At length, I even offered her personal violence. My pets, of course, were made to feel the change in my disposition. I not only neglected, but ill-used them. For Pluto, however, I still retained sufficient regard to restrain me from maltreating him, as I made no scruple of maltreating the rabbits, the monkey, or even the dog, when, by accident or through affection, they came in my way. But my disease grew upon me, for what disease is like alcohol? And at length, even Pluto, who is now becoming old, and consequently somewhat peevish, even Pluto began to experience the effects of my ill temper. One night, returning home, much intoxicated, from one of my haunts about town, I fancied that the cat avoided my presence. I seized him, when, in his fright at my violence, he inflicted a slight wound upon my hand with his teeth. The fury of a demon instantly possessed me. I knew myself no longer. My original soul seemed, at once, to take its flight from my body, and a more than fiendish malevolence gin-nurtured, thrilled every fiber of my frame. I took it from my waistcoat pocket. I took from my waistcoat pocket a penknife, opened it, grasped the poor beast by the throat, and deliberately cut one of its eyes from the socket. I blush. I burn. I, I shudder. While I pen the damnable atrocity. When reason returned with the morning, when I had slipped off the fumes of the night's debauch, I experienced a sentiment, half of horror, half of remorse, for the crime of which I had been guilty. But it was, at best, a feeble and equivocal feeling. And the soul remained untouched. I again plunged into excess, and soon drowned and whined all memory of the deed. In the meantime, the cat slowly recovered. The socket of the lost eye presented... It is true, a, a frightful appearance, but he no longer appeared to suffer any pain. He went about the house as usual, but, as might be expected, fled in extreme terror at my approach. I had been so much of my old heart left. I had so much of my old heart left as to be at first grieved by this evident dislike on the part of a creature which had once so loved me. But this feeling soon gave place to irritation, and then came as if to my final and irrevocable and then came as if to my final and irrevocable overthrow the spirit of perverseness of this spirit philosophy takes no account yet i am not more sure that my soul lives than i am that perverseness is one of the primitive impulses of the human heart one of the indivisible primary faculties or sentiments which give direction to the character of man. Who has not, a hundred times, found himself committing a vile or a silly action for no other reason than because he knows he should not? Have we not a perpetual inclination in the teeth of our best judgment to violate that which is law, 
merely because we understand it to be such. The spirit of perverseness, I say, came to my final overthrow. It was this unfathomable longing of the soul to vex itself, to offer violence to its own nature, to offer violence to its own nature, to do wrong for the wrong's sake only, that urged me to continue and finally consummate the injury I had afflicted upon the unoffending brute. One morning, in cool blood, I slipped a noose about its neck and hung it to the limb of a tree, hung it with the tears streaming from my eyes and with the bitterest remorse at my heart, hung it because I knew that it had loved me and because I had felt I felt it had given me no reason of offense, hung it because I knew that in so doing I was committing a sin, a deadly sin that would je- would a deadly sin that would so jeopardize my immortal soul as to place it, if such a thing were possible, even beyond the reach of the infinite mercy of the most merciful and most terrible God. On the night of the day on which this cruel deed was done, I was aroused from sleep by the cry of fire. The curtains of my bed were in flames. The whole house was blazing. It was with great difficulty that my wife, a servant, and myself made our escape from the conflagration. The destruction was complete. My entire worldly wealth was swallowed up, and I resigned myself thenceforward to despair. I am above the weakness of seeking to establish a sequence of cause and effect between the disaster and the atrocity, but I am detailing a chain of facts, and I wish not to leave even a possible link imperfect. On the day succeeding the fire, I visited the ruins. The walls, with one exception, had fallen in. This exception was found in a compartment wall, not very thick, which stood about the middle of the house, and against which had rested the head of my bed. The plastering had here, in great measure, resisted the action of the fire, a fact which I attributed to its having been recently spread. About this wall a dense crowd were collected, and many persons seemed to be examining a particular portion of it with very minute and eager attention. The words strange, singular, and other, sense, uh, and other similar expressions excited my curiosity. I approached and saw, as if graven in bas-relief, upon the white surface, the figure of a gigantic cat. The impression was given with an accuracy truly marvelous. There was a rope about the animal's neck. When I first beheld this apparition, for I could scarcely regard it as less, My wonder and my terror were extreme, but at length reflection came to my aid. The cat, I remembered, had been hung in a garden adjacent to the house. Upon the alarm of fire, this garden had been immediately filled by the crowd, by someone of whom the animal must have been cut from the tree and thrown through an open window into my chamber. This had probably been done with the view of arousing me from sleep. The falling of other walls had compressed the victim of my cruelty, into the substance of the freshly spread plaster, the lime of which, with the flames and the ammonia from the carcass, had then accomplished the portraiture as I saw it. 
Although I thus readily accounted to my reason, if not altogether to my conscience, for the startling fact just detailed, it did not the less fail to make a deep impression upon my fancy. For months I could not rid myself of the phantasm of the cat, and during this period there came back into my spirit a half-sentiment that seemed, but was not, remorse. I went so far as to regret the loss of the animal and to look about me among the vile haunts which I now habitually frequented, for another pet of the same species and of similar similar appearance with which to supply its place. One night, as I sat half-stupefied in a den of more than infamy, my attention was suddenly drawn to some black object, reposing upon the head of one of the immense hogsheads of gin or of rum, which constituted the chief furniture of the apartment. I had been looking steadily at the top of this hogshead for some minutes, and what now caused me surprise was the fact that I had not sooner perceived the object thereupon. I approached it and touched it with my hand. It was a black cat, a very large one, fully as large as Pluto, and closely resembling him in every respect but one. Pluto had not a white hair upon any portion of his body, but this cat had a large although indefinite splotch of white, covering nearly the whole region of the breast. Upon my touching him, he immediately arose, purred loudly, rubbed against my hand, and appeared delighted with my notice. This, then, was the very creature of which I was in search. I at once offered to purchase it of the landlord, but this person had made no claim to it, knew nothing of it, had never seen it before. I continued my caresses, and when I prepared to go home, the animal evinced a disposition to accompany me. I permitted it to do so, occasionally stooping and patting it as I proceeded. When it reached the house, it domesticated itself at once and became immediately a great favorite with my wife. For my own part, I soon found a dislike to it arising within me. This was just the reverse of what I had anticipated, but I now... But I know not how or why it was, its evident fondness for myself rather disgusted and annoyed. By slow degrees, these feelings of disgust and annoyance arose into the bitterness of hatred. I avoided the creature. A certain sense of shame and the remembrance of my former deed of cruelty preventing me from physically abusing it. I did not, for some weeks, strike or otherwise violently ill-use it. But gradually, very gradually, I came to look upon it with an unutterable loathing, and to, to flee silently from its odious presence as from the breath of a pestilence. What added, no doubt, to my hatred of the beast was the discovery, on the morning after I brought it home, that, like Pluto, it had also been deprived of one of its eyes. This circumstance, however, only endeared it to my wife, who, as I have already said, possessed in a high degree that humanity of feeling which had once been my distinguishing trait, and the source of many of my simplest and purest pleasures. With my aversion to this cat, however, its partiality for myself seemed to increase. It followed my footsteps with a pertinacity. It followed my footsteps with a pertinacity 
which it would be difficult to make the reader comprehend. Whenever I sat, it would crouch beneath my chair or spring upon my knees, covering me with its loathsome caresses. If I arose to walk, it would get between my feet and thus nearly throw me down, or, fastening its long and sharp claws in my dress, clamber, in this manner, to my breast. At such times, although I longed to destroy it with a blow, I was yet withheld from doing so, partly by a memory of my former crime, but chiefly, let me confess it at once, by absolute dread of the beast. This dread was not exactly a dread of physical evil, and yet I should be at a loss how otherwise to define it. I am almost ashamed to own, yes, even in this felon's cell, I am almost ashamed to own that the terror and the horror with which the animal inspired me had been heightened by one of the merest chimeras it would be possible to conceive. My wife had called my attention more than once to the character of the mark of white hair, of which I have spoken, and which constituted the sole visible difference between the strange beast and the one I had destroyed. The reader will remember that this mark, although large, although large, had been originally very indefinite. But by slow degrees, degrees nearly imperceptible, and for which a long time my reason struggled to reject as fanciful, it had at length assumed a rigorous distinctness of outline. It was now the representation of an object that I shudder to name, and for this, above all, I loathed and dreaded and would have rid myself of the monster had I dared. It was now, I say, the image of a hideous, of a ghastly thing, of the gallows. Oh, mournful, terrible engine of horror and of crime, of agony and of death. And now, as was I indeed wretched beyond the wretchedness of mere humanity, and a brute beast, whose fellow I had contemptuously destroyed, a brute beast to work out for me, for me a man, fashioned in the image of the high God, so much of insufferable woe. Alas, neither by day nor by night knew I the blessing of rest any more. During the former, the creature left me no moment alone, and in the latter I started hourly from dreams of unutterable fear to find the hot breath of the thing upon my face and its vast weight an incarnate nightmare that I had no power to shake off, incumbent internally upon my heart. Beneath the pressure of torments such as these, the feeble remnant of the good within me succumbed. Evil thoughts became my sole intimates, the darkest and the most evil of thoughts. The moodiness of my usual temper increased to hatred of all things and of all mankind, while from the sudden, frequent, and ungovernable outbursts of a fury to which I now blindly abandoned myself, my uncomplaining wife, alas, was the most usual and the most patient of sufferers. One day she accompanied me upon some household errand into the cellar of the old building which our poverty compelled us to inhabit. The cat followed me down the steep stairs and, nearly throwing me headlong, exasperated me to madness. Uplifting an act and forgetting, in my wrath, the childish dread which had hitherto stayed my hand, I aimed a blow at the animal which, of course, 
would have proved instantly fatal had it descended as I wished. But this blow was arrested by the hand of my wife, goaded by the interference into a rage more than demoniacal, more than demoniacal, into a rage more than demoniacal, I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the ask I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the axe in her brain. Uh, she fell dead upon the spot with, without a groan. This hideous murder accomplished, I set myself forthwith and with entire deliberation to the task of concealing the body. I knew that I could not remove it from the house, either by day or by night, without the risk of being observed by the neighbors. Many projects entered my mind. At one period I thought of cutting the corpse into minute fragments and destroying them by fire. At another I resolved to dig a grave for it in the floor of the cellar. Again, I deliberated about casting it in the well, in the yard, about packing in a box, as if merchandise, with the usual arrangements, and so getting a porter to take it from the house. Finally, I hit upon what I considered a far better expedient than either of these. I determined to wall it up in the cellar, as the monks of the Middle Ages are recorded to have walled up their victims. For a purpose such as this, the cellar was well adapted. Its walls were loosely constructed and had lately been plastered throughout with a rough plaster, which the dampness of the most at which the dampness of the atmosphere had prevented from hardening. Moreover, in one of the uh, walls was a projection caused by a false chimney or fireplace that had been filled up and made to resemble the red of, a, of the cellar. I made no doubt that I could readily displace the bricks at this point, insert the corpse and wall up the hole and wall the hole up as before so that no eye could detect anything suspicious. And in this calculation, I was not deceived. By means of a crowbar, I easily dislodged the bricks, and having carefully deposited the body against the inner wall, I propped it in that position, while with little trouble I relayed the whole structure as it originally stood. Having procured mortar, sand, and hair with every possible precaution, I prepared a plaster which could not be distinguished from the old, and with this I very carefully went over the new brickwork. When I had finished, I felt satisfied that all was right. The wall did not present the slightest appearance of having been disturbed. The rubbish on the floor was picked up with the minutest care. I looked around triumphantly and said to myself, Here at last, then, my labor has not been in vain. My next step was to look for the beast which had been the cause of so much wretchedness, for I had, at length, firmly resolved to put it to death. Had I been able to meet with it at the moment, there could have been no doubt of its fate, but it appeared that the crafty animal had been alarmed at the violence of my previous anger, and forbear to present itself in my present mood. It is impossible to describe or to imagine the deep, the blissful sense of relief which the absence of the detested creature occasioned in my bosom. It did not make its appearance during the night, and thus for one night at least, since its introduction into the house, I soundly and tranquilly slept. I slept even with the burden of murder upon my soul. The second and the third day passed, and still my tormentor came not, 
Once again, I breathed as a free man. The monster, in terror, had fled the premises forever. I should behold it no more. My happiness was supreme. The guilt of my dark deed disturbed me but little. Some few inquiries had been made, but these had been readily answered. Even a search had been instituted, but of course nothing was to be discovered. I looked upon my future facility, I looked upon my future felicity, as secured. Upon the fourth day of the assassination, a party of the police came, very unexpectedly, into the house and proceeded again to make rigorous investigation of the premises. Secure, however, in the inscrutability, secure, however, in the scru- secure, however, in the inscrutability of my place of concealment, I felt no embarrassment whatever. The officers bade me accompany them in their search. They left no nook or corner unexplored. At length, for the third or fourth time, they descended into the cellar. I quivered, not a muscle. My heart beat calmly as that of one who slumbers in innocence. I walked the cellar from end to end. I folded my arms upon my bosom and roamed easily to and fro. The police were thoroughly satisfied and prepared to depart. The glee at my heart was too strong to be restrained. I burned to say, if but one word, by way of triumph, to render doubly sure their assurance of my guiltlessness. Gentlemen, I said at last, as the party ascended the steps, I delight to have allayed your suspicions. I wish you all health and a little more courtesy. By the by, gentlemen, this, this is a very well-constructed house. In the rabid desire to say something easily, I scarcely knew what I uttered at all. I may say an excellently well-constructed house. These walls, are you going, gentlemen? These walls are solidly put together. And here, through the mere frenzy of bravado, I rapped heavily with a cane which I held in my hand upon that very portion of the brickwork behind which stood the corpse of my wife of my bosom. But may God shield and deliver me from the fangs of the arch-fiend. No sooner had the reverberation of my blow sunk into silence than I was answered by a voice from within the tomb. By a cry, at first muffled and broken, like the sobbing of a child, and then quickly swelling into one long, loud, and continuous scream, utterly anomalous and inhuman, a howl, a wailing shriek, half of horror and half of triumph, such as might have arisen only out of hell, conjointly from the throats of the damned and their agony and the demons that exult in the damnation. Of my own thoughts, it is folly to speak. Swooning, I staggered to the opposite wall. For one instant, the party upon the stairs remained motionless, through extremity of terror and awe. In the next, a dozen stout arms were toiling at the wall. It fell bodily. The corpse, already greatly decayed and clotted with gore, stood erect before the eyes of the spectators. Upon its head, with red-extended mouth, and solitary eye of fire, sat the hideous beast whose craft had seduced me into murder, and whose informing voice had consigned me to the hangman. I had walled up, I had walled the monster up within the tomb. There we go. That is The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe, as read by me, Stephen Sersky.